Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura Boyle. This week, we're here talking about the Relationship Anarchy book, which uh, you can find in bookstores now. It's subtitled Occupy Intimacy, and it's by Juan Carlos Perez Cortes, who we have here talking with us today. I've also got a short sub-interview with Elizabeth Sheff, who did uh, the foreword to the book. So we're going to have both of those interviews for you today. Please excuse my uh, tone through the intro and outro of today's episode. I have a really crappy cold. If you are not a giant nerd, you may find the tone of this book a little bit academic. It's kind of a textbook, but I found it really helpful and really informative. So if you're interested in this topic, I hope that you'll give it a chance. Um, And you can find links to purchase it in the show notes. That said, here are those interviews for you. So thank you very much for being with me and being willing to talk with me about the book. I enjoyed it both because I'm a big nerd, so I like reading the technical explanation of concepts that I have a very lay, intuitive understanding of, but also as someone who, when I got to the chapters that talked about how this applies, saw myself in the application of these principles... (laughs) I was like, oh, maybe I can stop hedging all of my language about whether or not I do relationship anarchy. I can just say that this is my underlying philosophy, but that we're talking about an individual relationship, so the label is unimportant. I leave it there. So (laughs) thank you for writing a book that at least gave me a little bit more confidence in that. I appreciate it. Thank you. What was your principal goal in releasing this book? Okay, so first of all, thank you very much for your uh, for your uh, attention to the book and for your uh, for your, for reading it and, and and being so so kind uh, describing its contents. Well, um, in fact, this was like. A, um, in a, a, a publisher that uh, ha, they have also uh, a bookstore in Madrid, and they somebody went there and asked for a book uh, on relationship anarchy, and they they didn't found any, <laughs> and uh, uh, they they knew that I had um, that somebody who finally it was me had uh, translated the. Manifesto, the, the relationship anarchy manifesto, had um, uh, written the the Wiki, Wikipedia uh, mm-hmm. page in Spanish and in Catalan, which is also my language as well, and um, and they 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 uh, contacted me and and in fact I I I answered that I had to. To be sure that that it was that it, it had a deep roots on on the long term tradition of thought that I, I, I that, that was my my intuition already because I, I had already uh, doing a little bit of research but I I tried to 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 go deeper on on, on that research in that research and um, and then I asked I, I answered yes because I I like uh, 
I liked that idea that, that it was not uh, somebody's thought that just uh, was like, uh, well, I, I'm going to write something. Uh, and even if it's very nice and very inspiring and very uh, interesting, if it's a collective long, long time, long um, tradition, thought, it's it's different from my point of view. It's like a more a collective endeavor, more 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 like a, a, I don't know a cultural uh, long uh, long term long term um, effort. Right, you felt like this deserved the treatment of truly explaining the political and cultural background behind relationship anarchy as opposed to just going well here's the manifesto and let me not just translate it but expand on it a little bit in practicality let me tell you what the underpinnings are how they got there what the point of it is yes yes exactly because i at that point uh, when i wrote the or I started writing the book i found that most people that we, 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 most people that I knew that we were living like like this or trying to live like this, <laughs> uh, uh, had found something that explained our our feelings, uh, and that's uh, that's so so interesting and also something that not not only explained them but also gave them gave them like. Um, some kind of roots on on uh, on a deep uh, relation to other um, important um, historical and and social and uh, and political um, thoughts that we uh, uh, also um, happen to share most of us so that's something that i i i found and i i thought it it, it was important to 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 exploit or, or to do research on it yes right and giving it the connection to the movement as a whole yes. people much more well it certainly gave me much more kind of perspective because yes. i find that a lot of treatment especially english language treatment that i've been able to find of this has been extremely surface level mm -hmm. and has just gone well it takes the political concepts of anarchy and applies it to relationships without ever saying what political anarchy is, where it comes from, or mm -hmm. why we should give a shit in the modern day <laughs> about what the roots of that are. Whereas your book takes several chapters in going through what the sort of political history of that movement is and then how that applies forward into not even necessarily a modern movement, although it does to some extent do that connection as well, but how that also applies into interpersonal relations mm -hmm. and why those connections can be an important thing that people can choose to take on these difficulties for, because it is difficult to live non-normatively. Yes, 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 yes. Of course, um, it's a, it's like any, um, it's a trade-off between uh, trying to live as you think uh, and uh, 
and uh, trying to to survive in a in a in a system that that is not uh, compatible in with with that with that ideas of uh, non authority or uh, of uh, free thought in the sense of uh, um, asking why everything that we do why why are we doing uh, it and um, uh, all, all those elements make uh, make this uh, of course a, a dissidence and a dissidence is always uh, something that has to be has to be um, well uh, thought before you start I, when, when I when I do I I, I, I mean uh, presentations of the book in, in Spain and I, I always start saying that if you are not uh, if, if you are um, comfortable uh, with uh, with your life maybe you should think twice before um, before um, trying uh, new things or something like this because this is not um, I mean I'm trying not to do a, a, a a marketing campaign. <laughs> somebody, somebody told me that uh, that was the worst marketing campaign they had ever thought, and and, and I and that was fine for me. <laughs> right. This book is not a sales pitch. You, in exactly. fact, do the opposite throughout the book. You are saying this is not a sales pitch for relationship anarchy. This is an mm -hmm. explanation. Exactly. And so, if someone's distress tolerance is low, if someone's <laughs> willingness to sort of work through the struggles of living non-normatively is low they will not be well suited to this but if they have not just a philosophical attachment to these things but a mm -hmm. willingness to and an ability to do the work of bringing these things into practice because you acknowledge several times that things like privilege intersect in mm -hmm. ways our actual ability to put this into practice and I found that to be a really valuable portion of this as well. Mm -hmm. um, throughout various past episodes of the podcast, I've repeatedly acknowledged that like, in some ways I'm an extremely privileged person to be white in the United States, to have been brought up relatively comfortably in the United States. And in other ways, mm -hmm. I'm much less privileged because I have several disabilities. I've had to take times when I'm not able to work because of my medical issues and so on, right? And so the balances of these sorts of which things make us more and less able to live according to our privilege, like our philosophies at different times because of these privileges. There were mm -hmm. times in my life where like I could not live according to these principles because when you're having four brain surgeries and you need to live with whatever unit is supporting you through that, mm -hmm. well, you don't get to go, I'm going to um, effectively figure out my network in a very different way and hope that it works. Yes, 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 yes. Right? Yes, of course. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. And and uh, the idea is exactly, uh, well, the, the idea uh, is to um to be able to make communities uh not not um, not a given uh, um, 
a clearly specified kind of community, just networks, maybe would, would be a, a, bit, a better word. Mm -hmm. uh, networks that where each person um, can, can be uh, more or less involved, more giving more or less receiving more or less depending on on the on the capabilities on the on, on the time of the of of the life uh, he or she is uh, uh, is uh, living at, at that moment so um the community part the collective part is important the power part the authority the privilege the all the access of oppression all of that is uh, uh, all those things are ingredients very important uh, because when you make conscious how those um, uh, every of each of those ingredients um, um, when you make conscious what are the consequences of those ingredients in things that we uh, uh, usually don't understand that they are uh, influenced by 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 so many things, but we understand that they are that are like natural or like uh, the way things happen or the ways thing the, the way things uh, have to have to go because uh, every, it, it always happened that way. When we uh, make conscious all the influences, is when. Uh, when we are starting to to think in a non-normative way, non-normative in the sense of not believing or not uh, assuming uh, all the um, uh, ideas that came to us in a um, in a transparent way. Right, so, a subliminal way through our childhoods, exactly. through our culture, exactly. when we're actually deconstructing these norms for ourselves. Exactly, and that has a lot to do with with um, the idea of uh, of relationship anarchy because it's um, it it can be it can be defined as a non-normative way of uh, relating, a way that uh, it doesn't mean that it's chaotic or that it's uh, not. Um, um, unstructured or something like that. No, it has to do with making conscious uh, what we are doing uh, instead of signing a, a contract uh, um, without looking at the at the clauses. Like we are doing all the time, accept, accept, accept. No, in <laughs> in our computers and their mobile phones, we accept a lot of of contracts or or, or um, well or, or licenses. Use. Yes, yes yeah. terms of use, licenses, things like that. Um, and let's try let's try to be more conscious on, on the important part of life which is which one unimportant part of life part of life which has which are relationships and try to to think of each of those uh, terms of use <laughs> that we apply to each other and uh, let's communicate let's make them conscious uh, and that has a lot to, to do with with anarchy because because anarchy in the original in the original sense, is not accepting the social contract as a as a, a closed uh, document. It's a, a way of saying, but uh, um, discussing uh, collectively each of the of the terms of that uh, document, a virtual document that is the, the social contract.
Right. And I think that's something that folks don't understand about anarchy as a political concept that was laid out really nicely throughout the book that I would recommend folks get the book and read it for is understanding this idea of anarchy politically as this sense of open to renegotiation and negotiation sort of much more democratically than democracy as it presently exists in our structures. Yes. Ways of engaging with one another, right? By removing yes. state control and bringing control within the realm of the folks who are actually engaged in it, right? And mm. so it's something that in many ways, it's never been applied to an actual state, right? Because both because it's antithetical to that, and because doing it at that largest scale feels impossible to me. Maybe it's just that my imagination isn't big enough. But in yes. fact, I think because of the level of interpersonal communication necessary to continually get consent from those involved, at a certain point, the group gets too big and you start losing. <laughs> consent gets muddy. Yes. Right? But because of that, it's a really excellent framework to apply interpersonally, in my opinion. <laughs> so. Yes, I I agree. I agree completely on, on the on the on the interpretation. Uh, for me, it's also difficult to think that from this point we can go to a to a real anarchy in the sense of uh, a good anarchy, of course. I mean, a, a, a peaceful and the, and the, well, and the well organized and without uh, right, non large structures. Exactly, with, without large structures uh, in some way. You know? But uh, in fact, in, in Spanish, the, the, the subtitle of the book that we couldn't, <laughs> we didn't, we weren't able to find a good translation of that. Mm -hmm. It was something like uh, uh, the revolution uh, from from the bonds, mm -hmm. not the revolution of the bonds, but from the bonds. It's like mm -hmm. trying um, if we like those ideas, uh, and we and we like uh, we would like the world to be like that. Uh, what 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 would happen if we try to start from from our from our network? Uh, maybe if we if uh, progressively more and more and more people um, relate to each other less uh, authority, uh, with less authority with with less um, with less assumptions with more communication. Uh, maybe uh, in, in in I don't know in how how many years or how many uh, centuries, but um, maybe we are going to 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 a better a better organization of of a large of the largest structures of of society. Right. So one of your sort of minor criticisms, or I don't know if it is meant to be a criticism or simply a description, but it almost reads as a criticism of non-hierarchical polyamory in this book is one that I occasionally grapple with in my social media um, mm -hmm. in that I read the term of non-hierarchical polyamory as almost being meaningless at this point because there are two mm -hmm. forms of it. You can either have mm -hmm. networked non-hierarchical polyamory, which is attempting to apply these kinds of principles but not getting all the way there 
or you can have non-networked, non-hierarchical polyamory, which is the thing that you're criticizing occasionally or describing in this book, where folks are just marching up the relationship escalator in groups of greater than two. Yes. Right? Yes. And we use the yes. same term for both of these things because yes. we say in all of them, well, it's polyamory that people have claimed and it's not giving anyone primary status over anyone else who is exerting vetoes or things like this. So they're mm -hmm. all non-hierarchical. And so at this point, I have found this term to become almost useless. Yes. So I try to just, I use it still because people use it everywhere. But I mostly try to describe people's actual networks or the actual relationships that they're in because mm -hmm. I find it much more helpful. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that, again, gets muddy because when you're describing a broad network, I'm at the edge of a network of about 70 people who have a large Discord server through which we communicate where we have like channels for resource sharing, bartering, things like this that we do. Mm -hmm. Like Some people raise chickens and some people do all <laughs> kinds of things. And like yeah. we post in there if it's like, oh, I'm going on a trip to do this, this, and that. Does anyone need something? <laughs> right? As well as all being interconnected through our various interpersonal bonds. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I talk about that online, sometimes people are like, well, you're joking, aren't you? What do you mean you're in a polycule that has 70 people? I'm <laughs> like, well, I mean... If you only look at the labeled ones, I guess at some point there's a break in there where it's like technically three polycules. <laughs> but yeah. why are we that worried about the exact structure? It's all people who care about each other and who are in some degree of community within a few hours of each other who all are helpful, right? And so yes. in the kind of structure described here, I was like, oh, I see that reflected there. That makes a lot of sense. We are not all applying this to an equal degree. There are folks within this who are very couple-centric and only pop out into this network very rarely, right? Mm -hmm. I, in my own ways, am sort of separate from this network because I raise my children in a very sort of contained manner mm -hmm. with my co-parents who are not part of that network, mm -hmm. right? Yes. But I think it's a, an interesting way to start looking at these conceptual frameworks and giving people more options than the ones that were presented as small children, right? We don't all mm -hmm. have to go. The only one we should present small children is mm -hmm. two of you walking off in pairs. We can present them with the idea of there are other ways to relate. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and we have we have a good, a, a very good reference that we only have to to push up words, and the reference is just called friendship. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if um, if you imagine friendship and uh, friendship and couples or or polycouples or polycules or whatever on top of it, like uh, oil on top of of water. No? Imagine imagine that uh, you uh, pour more water uh, in the in the in the glass uh, uh, until there are no there's no oil i mean i'm i'm talking about pushing up up not down yes. i mean making friendships or making your your uh, significant um, 
relationships with people that you don't label as, uh, I mean, friends Friends is a, a word that we, we are uh, quite uh, familiar with. with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's a, so if, if you just um, make that network that you already have, for sure, I mean, most of us, we, we have uh, a, a friendship network. And uh, and uh, you th you start to think that there's nothing on top of that on top of that, I mean that's the you you take it to the maximum possible because friendship has a has a ceiling, I mean you cannot uh, I don't know you cannot have sex with friends you cannot have a, 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 a house a mortgage with friends you cannot have a I mean uh, you can Until but uh, the expectation can. yes yes the expectation is exactly. The expectation is that you don't. I mean, you, you can, of course, you can do <laughs> whatever, but the, expect, the social expectation, the structural expectation uh, so, uh, of, uh, in society, in our societies, is that you do some kind of things with friends, some kind of thing with your partner or partners, mm -hmm. because polyam polyamory is just mm, saying partners instead of partner. Right. Uh, mm, and the, I mean, it's more complex and that's sense. it in, yeah exactly in the most in the, in the original sense it's just like uh, making a plural there when when you we usually do a, a singular so um those expectations those um, um rules of uh, that that we don't know where they come from they just they are just there uh, of what we uh, can do or should do with uh, or, or are expected to do with people we say we, we call friends, people we call uh, origin, family of origin, people we call partners, whatever. If if you push everything up so that it's it's just thinking that you don't uh, have a, a maximum, nothing else. I you, you don't have to 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 force anything to to try to to make your friends something more. No no just. Uh, uh, where, uh, live like like you live, but think, uh, forgetting that there's a, a ceiling, uh, because that ceiling is just uh, the position where where the couple, where the partner, where the where the ma marriage, whatever is uh, like making this uh, avoiding <laughs> the, the friendship to go up. No, mm -hmm. so it it would be something like that, uh, and uh, I mean that's a good reference because because. Usually things go uh, go quite well with friends. I mean, there's less drama, there's less um, jealousy, there's less um, I don't know. Uh, so um, why don't we um, take advantage of of that reference that we already have and, and are familiar with? Mm -hmm. Right. So you're saying apply the models we apply with friends and simply remove the ceilings. Exactly, exactly, because those ceilings are norm, norms, norm, normativity that uh, comes from the the social contract, which is the what anarchism is not against, but uh, uh, trying to times. questioning, questioning, uh, trying to examine, trying to to make conscious and make uh, um, um, I mean uh, something that you must communicate, agree. Uh, think about, <laughs> think again, right. and uh, talk about it all, all the time. Yes. And so a kind of 
interesting debate that I've seen people get into online that I don't know if you'll have an opinion about or not. Um, people who choose to label themselves as relationship anarchists, which in and of itself is an interesting thing for me because I think it's a philosophy that then as a label gets interesting, but assuming you're labeling yourself that way or you're saying that you're operating your relationships within that philosophy, someone who then decides, oh, but I'm only going to have one relationship in which I do particular things. Mm -hmm. Yes, of course. Of I course. think that's perfectly compatible with this structure. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, practices. Yes, I, I always try to, dif to differentiate between practices and uh, the system uh, or the structure, um, uh, uh, and, and this 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 uh, scheme is not about practices. It's not what you do, but it's about. I mean, particularly with uh, with as long as there are, there are no authority uh, on the. Right, of it's course, not someone the, saying you can't. It's you choosing to only exactly, that. exactly, and and about the. Um, labeling oneself uh, as a relationship anarchist, I usually, I mean, identification has to, identity uh, identity can have a, a, a very emancipating role. I mean, it can be emancipating in some, in some, in some cases it has been used uh, very su successfully uh, to, to obtain rights, to obtain, uh, recognition, mm -hmm. things like that. I mean, so in, in identity is, is important, but it's also, it can also be a trap. It can also be a, a like a, something you you are tempted to, to, to use uh, to, for a false sense of security or for a false sense of complicity with other people. So uh, for me, identity is just something that you have to use Cautiously, uh, without so I mean not not so uh, not so lightly. So uh, um, instead, uh, instead of using, for example, I, I don't just just to say I'm a relationship anarchist. Of course, if I if I if I was in a movement to obtain or to to ask for rights for for I don't know for some. Uh, so, Rights, economic rights, or whatever, to then to be able would, to raise yes. children. And yes, I I would say I, I would make like a a flag, no. <laughs> but uh, for for relationships with other with for for the real life or for the uh, quotidian life, I I I think it's better to to avoid uh, identity because. Um, you always mm, build identities against the others and, versus them inherently. Yes, and you start to get like medals or or, or black. Uh, I don't know in, in English, but it's like black belt, you know, for for the karate. No, yes. <laughs> I'm a black belt relationship anarchist, or only a blue blue belt. Mm -hmm. I mean, th those things are, are are problematic. So I prefer to avoid labels when they are not emancipating or emancipatory. Well, right. So it's for about the first 10 years that I was in polyamorous relationships, I chose not to identify as polyamorous as any kind of orientation or like label or what have you. 
both because I thought it wasn't particularly useful as a label for that and because there was no particular movement happening at the time for rights associated with it. And then after that, both I had children and people were beginning to do legal work for the rights of children with multiple parents. And so my children have three parents and I thought, oh, I would like to be identified with this movement. And mm -hmm. it began to be more of a thing. So I said, oh, okay, I will open, you know, I will like more openly identify as polyamorous. And I was like, my relationships are starting to look less like what people identify as the polyamorous relationship as though I'm not just in this three parent network. I'm in this complex system. Mm -hmm. So I am polyamorous. My relationships follow a relationship anarchist philosophy mm -hmm. is my broad identification. And people mm -hmm. look at me like I have six heads and I go, <laughs> I try to give accurate labels. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's nice because uh, it's useful and it's uh, yes. it's not uh, uh, if it's not um, prescriptive in the sense that uh, that it um, sometimes when when you use a label uh, often even if the first time you use it is is only right. descriptive it becomes uh, prescriptive it, over time exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no. So that's something to be uh, conscious about or to be, um, I mean, looking very carefully all the time with an alarm right. <laughs> on it. But 16 uh, and a half years think. on, this is the one that works and we'll see yeah. in another year if it still is. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but so that said, now that I'm like, identifying more actively as polyamorous i'm like oh there's a new flag i'm gonna start noticing that that happened i'll pay attention in my state they now allow for multiple parents on birth certificates i'm gonna pay attention to these legal changes mm -hmm. but none of these were things when i first started being in these relationships and so i was like oh, we need a name for this we can uh -huh. just figure out what we're doing and then go forward in general, with this Relationship Anarchy book, I found that so much of it was really clarifying on the things that folks ask a lot of questions about when I try to talk. I One of the things that I end up um, talking about when I give sort of general different styles of non-monogamy type lectures and relationship anarchy comes up. Mm -hmm. uh, my default statement is that relationship anarchy doesn't have to be a form of non-monogamy unless you want to consider it one. And that there's this manifesto that sort of lightly outlines these things. Here are the tenets of it. If you believe in those, then proceed that way and you'll do well. Right. Mm -hmm. And people then go, but what does any of that mean? <laughs> and I find that there's a lot in here, especially on the topics of sort of caretaking and community self-care versus personal self-care mm -hmm. that made a lot of sense. And I was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about the fact that from an anarchist perspective, self-care can't be individual 
because I think that's something that especially for U.S. audiences trips people up a lot because we mm -hmm. are very overly individualistic for this kind of philosophy. <laughs> yes, of, of course, we, we are grown in a, in a, in a time and, and, and the societies and societies where um, think uh, our uh, on, on us, I mean, on us as individuals, uh, uh, they, they all, all the time say that you have to improve this, you, you have to improve that, uh, you, you need to grow uh, as a person. Um, so it's obviously it's 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 fine. I mean, we we need to learn. We need to 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 get stronger, to get uh, um, smarter. Obviously, but mm, there's a, a a balance, a very very bad balance, very very uh, unbalanced um, uh, situation or, or or communication from 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 the culture. Uh, because we are not, uh, we, we don't receive messages ex uh, explaining that we are interdependent. I mean, dependence as a, obviously, independence is, is, is functional. Independence is, is, is great because you, you don't have to bother other people. You can do things yourself. That's fine. But interdependence as a, as a structure of, of living is, uh, is unavoidable. I mean, if we try to if we try to live with as with uh, those mantras of um, grow yourself, be be better, just yourself, we finally uh, fail because we need uh, uh, we um, um, because we, we are creatures <laughs> that evolved <laughs> to 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 be in groups, to be uh, to, to to help and and. And be helped. No, uh, I, I remember Humans one of the pack animals. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that makes us uh, more humans. Uh, I remember. I don't know the 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 name of of that researcher. She said that uh, uh, if if when they asked uh, uh, which was the first human that she she was a paleontologist, uh, the first human she she knew of or she could uh, label as, as human. Uh, she said that the only remaining, the only real um, physical remaining that make, made her think that was the first human he could uh, positively say was a human, was a, a, a person who had a, a hilt um, femur. Mm -hmm. uh, she found, they found, they found a bone, I mean, a, a person, a body yeah. with, a, with the bones, with, with a healed femur, because nobody can, can, um, nobody can survive alone yeah. uh, with a femur, fractured femur. No? Uh, that's, uh, something had to take care of that person for one month, two months, at the time that uh, it takes right. to... They were saying that the first human societies that they consider human are the ones with the broken leg bone and the one mm -hmm. where they found uh, folks mm -hmm. who were so old that they were missing teeth. Exactly, exactly. That, that's that that's what makes care us... care and care of the sick were proof that exactly. these were the real human... human yeah, because it, it doesn't happen in, 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 other, in other animals. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's so important. Uh, 
that uh, and uh, it's very important to um, to counterbalance that uh, individualistic uh, uh, bias that we that we find in 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 our societies and in the in the messages we hear all the time uh, in this regard yeah it really is because there's a lot of this sort of messaging of in order to have an idea of what our own needs and values are, we must be entirely in touch with ourselves and entirely healed and whatever. And no one comes into the world perfect and we all have to meet each other where we are. And in order to do that, we have to be a certain degree of interdependent and of being willing to emotionally co-regulate with each other to physically help one another and like community care is self-care mm -hmm. exactly that's a very 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 nice sentence <laughs> it just it's one of those things where i feel like a lot of the time people have this like image which is largely sold to us for commercial purposes of mm -hmm self-care are these things you can buy for yourself out of whether they're like self-help courses or uh, bath products you can get or whatever and it's not that i haven't also been sort of guilty of telling people just do that kind of self-care and you'll feel better when you're having moments that are bad right like because some of us will to some extent feel better mm -hmm. Yes. But there is also value in reducing the amount that you need to do any of that by continuing to connect with other humans. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes. That's and, and and we do it very very well in, in several um contexts and very badly in other in others. Mm -hmm. And like I think part of the strength of relationship anarchy is saying we're going to equalize these contexts. Yes, that's that's the equalize upward. Uh, I mean, not not downwards. Uh, right. We're going to broaden it and raise the whole playing field, not smash everything down. We're not saying exactly. no one is allowed to have deep bonds. Mm -hmm. We're saying all of exactly. the bonds are deep and meaningful. Exactly. Have no no limits. They they, they don't have to go deeper if if they if they are not uh, meant to but with, uh, if there are no no limits they can or they can or, or they will they will or they will not but without uh, those limits that impose the the traditional morals uh, ways of doing things that we that we understand that that are like um, sacred, you know, like something uh, that comes from from the heaven. Or, you know, we we can we, we can talk about everything. We can make and um, making conscious those that those uh, ideas are not sacred, are not like nature. Uh, nature is is just an option. I mean. Uh, of course, we can we can go. I don't know, naked. But that's nature, natural. But it's an option. And mainly when it's cold, <laughs> it's, just, it's right, not a good exactly. option. Not, we can not a good choose option. to put on clothes when it's cold <laughs> exactly. and exactly. our problems. Similarly, exactly. we can choose to do our relationships differently when it makes more sense for us as individuals. Exactly. And 
in so doing as a larger group serve the entire group better exactly that's that's it yes yes so i really appreciate you coming and talking with me a little bit about the book about relationship anarchy are there any final thoughts that you want to sort of share that you feel like i haven't touched on before Mm -hmm. we close this well, I, I I just want to thank you because this is really the first interaction I have after the the book is translated to Sp- to English into English. In Spanish, it was uh, quite. Uh, I mean, I, I was everywhere and talking to to communities, to to in, in bookstores, in 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 many places, in in with very interesting audiences from from anarchist uh, groups to polyamorist groups to book i mean uh, more academic places all 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 of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of um, people uh, different people who um, taught me a lot about about their their different views and, and and even they interacted among them it's it's the most interesting places is when they when you when, when people from different origins come together and 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 you listen to their their <laughs> conversations that's incredibly interesting and uh, i i hope in english uh, it, it it's also useful for that uh, that's uh, that's my only uh, <laughs> that that's what i i would like to 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 see <laughs> so thanks again for being here on the program with me and now for the interview with Elizabeth Chef, who wrote the foreword to this book. Going on to an entirely kind of different point uh, in how um, the book deals with this, there's a really big focus on the history of anarchy that I thought was really valuable because a lot of times um, non-monogamous literature on relationship anarchy acts like it formed out of whole cloth in the early 2000s with the Relationship Anarchist Manifesto, right? Which it didn't. And in actually addressing what Relationship Anarchist philosophy is, I think there's some value to be got there. Did you learn anything in reading this? Were you familiar with uh, anarchist philosophy prior to consuming the this book, whether you got it, you know, years ahead or only months ahead of the rest of us? I definitely learned new things from that book. I'd always known that anarchy was, you know, kind of, situated itself against this top-down rule, but it also had these overtones for me of chaos. And from this book, I really got that it doesn't have to be chaotic, that often it's the transition from top-down rule and the resistance against that that produces conflict, but anarchy itself doesn't have to be chaos. It can be kind of a peaceful, collective endeavor, even. Um, 
and it, it seems almost utopian to me, anarchy, especially the way the book, you know, described it. As a sociologist, I could see how potentially small groups of people could maintain anarchy over time. But if you look at societies in the whole and especially across history and cultures, humans really tend towards hierarchy. We recreate that over and over. And even in, you know, like the various hippie collective things I've been involved with that talk about being consensus based, you know, or talk about being non-hierarchical that's difficult to maintain because it's a great idea to have no one in charge but at the same time sometimes that means no one is taking responsibility so that means like if you're in a collective and no one is taking responsibility then sometimes shit doesn't get done so I guess it depends on what the collective's goals are and how tightly knit it is. But even among tight knit collectives over time, it's pretty common that someone emerges as more of a leader than others. Right. I definitely watched artists collectives that I was friends with in Montreal in the early aughts, like collapse in on themselves because no one was actually organizing the day-to-day running of them and like well if we were supposed to be growing these plants for our own food but no one was actually organizing that and then we were overrunning our grocery budget because we weren't actually doing that well look at us oops right yeah so like things like that are kind of standard or you find the like stereotype of we've got the charismatic leader the charismatic leader emerges because there isn't someone filling that role taking that responsibility uh that's or um, that charismatic leader really kind of wants to be in charge mm -hmm. you know if something is rubbing them the wrong way like maybe in your case they're a good gardener and they see people spending a ton of money and they're like, all right, this is not working. I need to be in charge of this because nobody else is stepping up and I'm going to get this shit done. So they become the queen of kale. Yeah, exactly. So it's the thing of, um, we see that pattern reemerge where people really do fall back into hierarchies, even in these relatively small units where you could have those sort of utopian applications of anarchist values and the author is very careful to say like this is a daily work to apply these values to say like this is a challenge we do our best every day to apply these values in our individual relationships knowing that we'll only be able to apply them so far and that others will only work with us so far to apply them. And I think that's really heartening for someone like me who identifies as a polyamorist with some relationship anarchist philosophy, right? Because I think that's a more accurate description of my life and how it runs 
because if I go, oh, I'm a relationship anarchist, I suddenly feel like I have to live up to a whole thing, right? Whereas if I say, well, I do polyamory, but the underlying philosophy is relationship anarchy, there's a lot less to sort of try to stick to. And this book, I feel like, gives us all permission to do that. I don't know if that was something you took away from it as well. Or if you have any desire to take that away, given that, as far as I know, you don't practice polyamory at this time? Um, you know, I... Not that you're required to tell me one I, way or the other, but... No, no, I don't practice polyamory, actually. I feel like I've... I've tried for the past 25 years to be polyamorous and in a way I think my life would have been happier if I could have manufactured that. I tried really hard to kind of, I think of myself as a person with one romantic plug and I tried so hard to grow another or multiple plugs and I just couldn't. It's not in my nature. So I think it would be better for me if I could have. And I think in that case, being monogamous, but having some relationship anarchist philosophy and being able to go, but I practice my friendships in this manner, can be really valuable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I enjoy about relationship anarchy, is that it doesn't kind of valorize romance and sex above everything else like it really can value sibling relationships and friendship relationships and you know what like I think about my mom who when my dad died in the Vietnam War she never remarried I mean he died when I was less than a year old Mm -hmm. and her relationship with her best friend has lasted for probably 60 years now way longer than most marriages last and she's been single almost her entire life you know but it's not like she's been devoid of intimacy or devoid of important relationships I feel like I really learned a lot about intimacy and the value of friendships from her because she organized her life around friendships. They were way more important to her. I saw some of her friends who did try to organize their lives around romantic relationships kind of go through multiple partners through serial monogamy, Mm -hmm. you know, over the time they knew my mom in a way that their relationship with her was much steadier than their relationship with any of their romantic partners. So in that way, yeah, I I kind of, I can see that, you know, the value of, of relationship anarchy outside of the romantic realm, especially, I don't know if though she would think of it that way, you know, I don't think it was necessarily like a considered political move for her as much as it was just she really loves her friends and didn't want to put up with crap from men 
and tried to be a lesbian and just didn't have the the, des- the sexual desire for women. Oh, right. So she was like, okay, I'm going to... She just kind of accidentally fell maybe ass backwards into what <laughs> other people looking at her life might look at as relationship energy. Right. Other people looking at her life would go, oh, you have this beautiful queer platonic relationship with your best friend and you're in this years-long you know, dedicated, caring connection, right? But at the time, there wasn't this vocabulary and there wasn't a need for a label and there was just this dedication of care. And I think without the need for radical politics around all of it, no one finds the need to label. And while I feel like we, especially those of us who are in the United States, are in a sort of watershed moment where I would love it if lots of people would join me in feeling like we need kind of a radical political moment of focusing on our various non-normative forms of relating because there certainly is an effort to remove approbation for even the most poster child of non-normative forms of relating at this time. So if we can all point out all of the ways that everyone's relationships are non-normative so that we can go, no one is the perfect nuclear family, so let's not pretend, I would feel a lot better about it. To be the perfect nuclear family, they're exhausted. They're lonely and isolated because it's only them. Right, and it serves no one. One thing the pandemic showed was that's not enough. Two people together alone, especially if they have children, Mm -hmm. it's not enough. If one of them gets sick, mm-hmm. it's just not enough. You know, like the pandemic really, I think, for some people, underlined the need for healthier community, yep. regardless of who's having sex with who. Yep. So this need for real community, this need for real care, this need for there are only so many of us who aren't currently single, who aren't currently in relationships that don't look normal normal in quotes there, right? Like either our closest relationships are our closest friends, our closest relationships are polyamorous, our closest relationships are queer platonic, are in some way non-normative, right? That being the case, like I would love for that to be organized in some way the work to organize that is a little bit insane because everybody gets caught up in what the individual labels are and how they can separate each of those labels into a micro label. And then it looks like, Oh, well you've only got 1% of the population. So why are you organizing that? And then we invite and that's no fun. Um, but that's fine. I am the child of union organizers and I will find a way to coalition that uh, even if it kills me. People do try to organize or to form these coalitions or to form a community. And then you talked about infighting when when things get difficult 
it's very like I'm thinking of this one it's 20 people together who bought land to be Mm -hmm. a polyamorous community this was decades ago Mm -hmm. and nobody lives there right now because Mm -hmm. there's been so many falling outs Mm-hmm. nobody they can't sell the land because it's 20 people yep. you know but they can't really do anything with it because they can't agree on how to do something with it some of the people have now died and that even makes it more complicated right. so you know the collective I just have such mixed feelings about it I crave it I want it I want that feeling of community and in practice, it's never as pretty as it sounds in the abstract. So once again, thank you to uh, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff and to Juan Carlos Cortes Perez for being with me and discussing the English translation of the Relationship Anarchy book and the concepts of Relationship Anarchy a little bit more broadly with me for this episode. Um, the link to the Relationship Anarchy book's English translation which Elizabeth wrote the foreword for, uh, can be found in the show notes. And I hope that everybody got a little bit out of this episode. Um, You can find my information, as always, at readyforpolyamory.com. I've got a conference coming up next week, and there are new uh, posts up at my Ko-Fi shop of uh, recent webinars that I've reposted if folks missed recent classes and are interested in finding those. But thanks as always for listening, and I will see you next week, hopefully with less of a cold.